Thanks, team. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you here this morning. If you're here in person with us, thanks for being here, for braver than all the rain and all that to get here. If you're online with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. I'm glad you could tune in and join us this morning wherever you may be at. Uh, and if, if you haven't met me, my name's Jake. I am uh, the family pastor here at Crossroads, and I'm really excited to share with you what, what God has placed on my heart this morning for us as we uh, are in this series called Sermon on the Mount where we're just kind of walking through the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And we've created these journals for you that if you don't have one and you want to go grab one, they have a, a reading plan and some study questions and some things of that nature. They're in the back. Feel free to get those. You're not going to offend me or anyone else around you. Uh, you can go do that. If you have your journal with you, uh, we're going to be on page 18 in our journal. There's a spot there that you can take notes if you wish to participate in that way uh, this morning. But last week, Pastor Brian, who is our lead pastor, who's away this weekend on a marriage retreat with several married couples from our church, which is a really great thing for them to do to kind of get away a little bit. And so they're off kind of pouring into their marriage a little bit. But this morning, or last week, he talked about anger. And Jesus is going to continue to kind of build on himself either here as we move into this idea of talking about lust, adultery, and divorce. Fun stuff, right? Um, and before we jump into this passage, I just want to—I want to have a disclaimer for us from the get-go. This past week, we sat around a table with many of us from from this church, and we talked about how we want Crossroads to be a place where there is no judgment for people, that people don't experience shame and guilt. And when we begin to talk about lust and adultery and divorce, it's really easy for us to slide into that frame of mind. Whether judging others over what they have done or feeling shame and guilt over what we have done. And so this morning, what I want to do is offer us a way to push against that. Invite us into a different way of thinking about these things, if you will. And it's a phrase that we've said several times around here. And it's the invitation to gaze at Jesus and glance at ourselves. To gaze at Jesus and glance at ourselves. In order for us to be a community of people where there is no judgment, shame, or guilt, it's when we make a big deal about the grace and the love of Jesus. And we focus our attention on that and we gaze upon the love and the grace of Jesus for all people. And we push against the desire to just make everything about what we've done or what other people have done. Because truth is, it's going to be hard-pressed this morning to find anyone in this room who's not in, been impacted by lust, adultery, or divorce. Unfortunately, the world that we live in, that this is a common thing in our world. And so it's easy to slip into a judgmental mindset of saying, well, I haven't done that. I didn't do what they did. Or it's really easy to slip into a, a shame and guilt of, man, yeah, I've been guilty of that. And how we push against that, and what I'm inviting us into this morning, is that we would gaze upon the goodness and the love of God for us. And we would glance at ourselves. That we make our time together this morning about the love and the grace and the life of Jesus that he calls us into and a, and a smaller deal about everything that's gone on. Because here's what's happened in the Sermon on the Mount. right? That Jesus is taking physical actions, things that, that we can see. Last week, he relates anger to murder. 
right? An action that has a beginning of a heart reality. He's taking physical actions and saying there's a spiritual reality behind every action that we do. And this morning is the same way. And so I invite you this morning together that we turn our attention, turn our eyes to Jesus and push against the temptation to say it's all about what we've done. It's all about our physical action, specifically in this conversation about lust, adultery, and divorce. So that's my invitation to us this morning. Before we even jump into the passage of Scripture, before we even get to a place where we begin to think about it, we have to start here. We want to elevate Jesus to his rightful place to a place of honor, to a place of priority. And think of how it's impacted us secondly. So as we are invited into that, would you pause and would you pray with me? Jesus, we're grateful for these moments together. And we take a, we take a few moments here just to turn our attention and our focus to you. What is it that you are calling us into this morning, God? I pray that your voice would be the loudest voice in the room, speaking directly to our hearts. We surrender and submit this time to you, God, and we ask that you do whatever it is you wish to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It says this, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, if it causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So a few things here to to kind of begin our time with this. Uh, We have to understand, because Jesus makes a big idea about lust here. He makes a big deal about lust, much like he makes a big deal about anger. He says anger towards your brother or your sister is much like murder in your hearts. In the same way, he says the same thing here. Lust towards someone is like adultery in your hearts. And these murder and adultery are one of the, or two of the Ten Commandments that Moses had in the Old Testament. And so these are big deals to the Jewish people that are listening to this. And so they realize something with these statements of Jesus. They realize that it's no longer just about the physical action. That there is a spiritual reality behind it. But before we can go through all this, we have to understand lust. A lot of times in this conversation of lust, we, we understand lust to be desiring someone sexually outside of marriage. Outside of marriage, desiring someone sexually outside of marriage. And before we say that's bad, while I think it is bad, we have to consider something. Because it's a slippery slope here. That if we say um, desiring someone sexually is a bad thing, it's an easy jump to say our desire for sex, intimacy, and loving relationships is a bad thing. And that's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us the exact opposite. 
It says that sex, intimacy, marriage, loving relationships is a gift from God that he has created for us to enjoy. And so that idea that it's just bad can make us think and have guilt and shame about things we should not have guilt and shame about. Right? And so what I want us to understand about lust and what we need to understand is this, is that lust is a good desire gone bad. We have to begin and know that it is a good desire, that God has created us with the desire for intimacy, for sex, for loving relationships. But it has gone bad, and this is what lust is. And unfortunately, our culture has kind of hijacked these, these, turn, or these ideas, and we've made it all about us. And so when we know, how we know that a good desire has gone bad is when we engage in the destructive nature of using others. When we engage in the destructive nature of using others. When other people just become a means in which to fulfill my desires or to satisfy my longings, that is a destructive thing. That is bad for our souls. That is bad for our hearts. And so we have to ask the question, how do we get to a place where we can see people as simply objects to fulfill our needs, whether it's sexually or any other way in life? And this is where Jesus shows us his, his brilliance because he's building on himself here. If you remember last week, Pastor Brian talked about how anger played out to its fullest is contempt in our hearts towards others. Where we see others as less than us, Worthy to be judged, condemned, and scorned. And now also worthy to be objects to fulfill our desires. Jesus is, he's building on himself here. He talked about anger, and anger played out to its fullest as this contempt, this spiritual reality that says, I'm better than you. The only reason you're here is to please me. And he moves into this conversation about lust and adultery and divorce. And he reminds us that there is a spiritual reality behind all of our physical actions. In fact, it could be said that most, if not all, of what we do is a consequence of our spiritual nature. And so Jesus says, before we can jump into any kind of physical uh, uh, boundaries or any kind of physical um, remedies for this, we have to deal with the spiritual issue behind it. That, there, that lust, this destructive nature of using others, is a spiritual reality. And we know this, right? Like, when it comes to these conversations, we understand that boundaries are good. We should have boundaries around our marriages. We should have boundaries around our own hearts if we're not married, that we're not engaging in this kind of destructive nature. And there are absolutely physical things that we can do to protect ourselves. But those things will not save us. Those things will not transform our hearts. Those things will not lead us into the abundant life that Jesus has called us into. The only thing that's going to lead us into that is by approaching these things from a spiritual reality. To think and to ask the question, what's wrong with my heart? What is it about my heart that Jesus needs to heal in order for me to live a life without lust? And so this morning we're going to be talking about kingdom principles. Kingdom principles that help us live a life without lust. These are not physical boundaries. 
We need those. But I feel like this, when we talk about lust and we talk about sex and all that kind of stuff, we have, have saturated the, the field of physical boundaries. We've said everything that we need to said, but we need to start paying attention to the spiritual reality of what's happening behind our lustful desires. Right? And these kingdom principles are just that. Because the truth is, Pastor Brian said it last week, and I want to say it again this week, we are eternal beings meant for eternal things. And when we sacrifice that for the temporary of this world, we will always be unsatisfied and unhappy. And these kingdom principles are eternal things that Jesus invites us into. The psalmist says it best in Psalm 119, 11. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not, I have set up all the boundaries I need to set up so I don't sin against you. It's I've hidden your word in my heart. So there are heart issues, spiritual realities that we need to confront and be confronted by. This says this destructive nature of using others is wrong. And so this morning I want to give us four kingdom principles that will help us live a life without lust. These aren't physical boundaries that you can just go home and tomorrow put these in place and you're good and you're set. This is a process in which we live and we are intentional with. And so the first um, kingdom principle that I want to give you is one that we actually talked about last week, and it's this idea of the sacredness of others. The sacredness of others. Pastor Brian talked about this last week, so I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this, but it is worthy to say again, because we learn in Genesis that, that God has created us in his image. And so there's this one phrase that has kind of stuck with me as I've been preparing, and it's this. There is no desire... There is no need in my life that is worth the sacrifice of the sacredness of another. There is no desire in you and I's life that it's worth to, to sacrifice the, sacred, the sacredness of someone else, to, to sacrifice the image-bearing person out there. And then within this conversation, within this idea of lust, there has been... Uh, I understand the motives behind it, but it's been a harmful teaching, specifically um, talking to men about women. And we say things like, you know, that's someone's mother, that's someone's daughter, that's someone's wife. And unfortunately, it's been wrapped up that now women believe that their sacredness is found in their role as a, as a wife or a mother or as a daughter, and that's not true at all. The image-bearing People, we are image-bearing people, whether man or woman. For all people at all times, whether they are a mom, a sister, a brother, a husband, a dad, it doesn't matter. All people have the image of Christ, are created in the image of Christ. All of them. And so to just think of it as, well, that's someone's mom or sister, is not enough. It's not enough. It's not until the, the kingdom principle of the sacredness of others sing, sinks down deep into our souls that begins to change how we see other people. The second uh, kingdom principle that I want to talk, to talk about is this idea of learning to submit our will and our desires to God. Learning to submit our will and our desires to God. Learning to understand and realize that what we want is maybe not what's best for us. Right? John 15, 7 says this, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Right? Just like there's no desire or need in me that is worth the sacrifice of the sacredness of someone else, 
This is how we understand that, that if we remain in Jesus and his words remain in us, not that we set up all the right boundaries, but that his words remain in us, what we desire will be to uplift and to honor the sacredness of those around us. And so when we ask those things, Jesus will grant them for us. When we ask for the sacredness of others to be uplifted, and that would be a, a, a result of seeing others as sacred and learning to submit our will to God. Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It doesn't say we take captive every thought to make it obedient to our boundaries. It says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so again, we have this idea that there's something inside of us that needs to sink down deep into us that says, I will submit what my will and my desires to God. And I will take my thoughts and my desires and I will make them, I will take them captive, captive and make them obedient to Christ. And the only way we can make things obedient to Christ is by knowing what he calls us to. By knowing his word, by what the psalmist told us, by hiding his word in our hearts so that we can take our thoughts, we can take our, our ideas, and we can take them captive and make them obedient to Jesus. See, it's not always good for us to get what we want. Right? This is, I think, what Jesus is getting at when he says, hey, if, you're, if your hand causes you to sin, even if it's your strong hand, cut it off and throw it away because it's better for you to not have a hand than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Or if your eye, even if it's a good eye, gouge it out, get rid of it. Could even be said that it's better for us to not have a desire or a need met than it is to be thrown into hell. And this idea that it's not always good for us to get what we want. We should, we should live a life that says it's not about what I want. It's not about that. And we, we submit our ways, our, our will, and our desire to Jesus. And we say, it's about you. It's not about me and what I want. The third kingdom principle that we can pay attention to that will help us live this life without lust is the idea of servanthood. When we, when we understand the sacredness of all people, no matter their role or no matter what they can do or where they find themselves at in life, and when we learn to submit our will and our desire to God, so we're not, we're not looking for anyone else to fulfill us, and we take everything captive and make it obedient to Christ, we are free to serve others with no strings attached. We are free to serve others, and however they respond, it doesn't matter. Right? We don't serve others so we can manipulate them to do something for us anymore. So we serve others and we freely serve them. And we don't look for anything, any kind of kickback or any kind of, well, you've done this, so I'm going to do this kind of thing. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 20, 28. He says that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the call of the life with Jesus, is to serve with no strings attached. Jesus knew. He knew that in his death and resurrection, he was going to do that to, to give his life as a ransom for many, knowing that millions of people will still turn their backs on him. Paul teaches us in, in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In humility, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. This idea of serving with no strings attached. Because sometimes we have this, it's kind of like an arrogant serving, right? Like, I'm going to serve, look what I've done, and now because I've done this, I expect you to, you know, you need to do this now. Remember that thing I did? I'm calling in my favor. It's time for you to come do this. The idea of servanthood within the kingdom of God is to serve with no strings attached. Serve with no strings attached. Which leads us to kind of this fourth kingdom principle because it's easy to fall into the temptation or the trap that if we, if we uphold the sacredness of others, of all people, and if we submit our will and our desires to God, and if we live a life of servanthood to serve with no strings attached, it's easy to fall into this trap to go, well, what about, what about me? Right? Who's going to meet my needs? Because I have desires, I have needs, and that's a, that's a fair question to ask. But it leads us to this fourth principle, and it's that uh, the security in Christ. A verse that personally I've been holding on to for almost a couple years now is this verse in Psalm 23.1. And it's, I think it would be good for us to memorize this verse together, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That is every desire or need that I have, I may want those things, but the truth, the reality, the kingdom principle that I want to sink deep down inside of me and into us collectively together is that the Lord is your shepherd. You don't need to be in need. You have all that you need. I don't need to be in want. Right? And so it's this idea that I am secure in Christ, that he has offered me this life abundant. Paul teaches us in Philippians 4.19, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When we ask the question, what about me? We have to realize that every desire, every need is met in the person of Jesus Christ. That there's no physical boundary or anything going on that everything we need is met in the person of Jesus. That we are well taken care of. That God isn't holding anything back from us. In fact, he's given all of himself in the person of Jesus to us. To say it is in Jesus that we find our life. We find the abundant life that is promised to us. It's in him that, that we are secure. That we don't need to ask the question, well, what about me? Because when we understand that we're secure in Christ, then we don't have to go around looking for people to complete us or to fulfill some kind of need in us, but that we can be secure and safe and go, Jesus, I'm well taken care of. These aren't just physical boundaries. Like we said earlier, our physical boundaries are good for us. They will protect us. They will keep us on the straight and narrow, but they will not transform our hearts. The only thing that can trans our, transform our hearts is the power of God at work in our life. And to realize that we are eternal beings met for eternal things. And until we start to pursue those eternal things, we will always be unsatisfied and unhappy with the life that we have. Asking the question, God, is this it? Is this all there is? And so this morning, this is, this is what we talk about when we talk about apprenticing our life to Jesus, is learning the skill of life from the person who knows life best. That there's something inside of you drawn to eternal things. 
to not let just temporary worldly things kind of lead you astray or, or satisfy you for a short time, but to pursue the things that are eternal. And it's there that we'll find fulfillment. And so we approach this idea of life without lust, and we, and we realize that lust is not just a physical thing. It's not just about adultery. It's not just about divorce. It is a spiritual reality that needs to be attacked and battled in a spiritual way and not just in more of a physical way. And so this morning as we, as we wrap up here and as we go, I pray that we would learn to prioritize our spiritual life. That we wouldn't put so much, so much stock in our physical boundaries and say, well, I've done that, so I'm good now. Because the truth is, no matter how many physical boundaries we put up, it will, if it's a spiritual reality inside of us, it will eke out in other ways. And so to really set us free, to transform our hearts, we must be confronted with the spiritual reality of our hearts and take a hard look at what the spiritual reality of our life is. Are we engaging in the destructive nature of using others? Because if so, it might be time to begin to live by these kingdom principles to transform our heart so that the spiritual reality of inside of us is that of life of love and grace towards all in an abundance that Jesus promises us. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for these moments. And we realize that the spiritual reality in our life may, may be the thing that's driving everything. And so, God, I pray that you would confront our spiritual reality, point out where we are engaging in the destructive nature of using others. But help us understand that all people are sacred. May their sacredness, may that sacredness of others sink deep down into our hearts. Help us to learn to submit our will to you, to give up the notion that we deserve certain things, that we can, we can understand that it's good for us to not always get our way. God, as we do this, we learn to serve with no strings attached and that we find our security in you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.